Welcome into episode three of the CG Business Advisor podcast, brought to you by CG Tax Audit and Advisory. I'm your host, Scott Seidenberg, reminding you to subscribe, rate, and review the CG Business Advisor wherever you get your podcasts from so you get the latest episodes downloaded directly to your mobile device. So far on this podcast series, we've discussed some important business issues as it relates to the ongoing pandemic. Our first episode dealt with the tax implications of the CARES Act, and our second episode focused on ways to market your business and yourselves in our digital environment. Today, we're going to discuss some legal ramifications of returning to the workplace during COVID. A lot of offices are welcoming people back in now, and with schools starting and mostly being remote, parents are in a tough spot as well, and employers have to adjust. Joining me today is Tracy Armstrong, a member of the employment law team at Wilentz, Goldman, and Spitzer, PA. Tracy brings strategic insight to both the legal and commercial ramifications of complex and dynamic employment law concerns. She defends employers against claims and helps businesses of all sizes in New Jersey and elsewhere to proactively and appropriately address employment law issues. She is a frequent presenter to professional groups and associations, and she conducts compliance training covering important employment law concerns including anti-harassment and anti-discrimination training and family leave issues. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. Tell us a little bit more about your background in employment law. So I, as a young lawyer, used to count every minute and every second of being a lawyer. Um, And then as, as I started to progress through the years, I stopped counting at 25. So I always tell people I've been practicing 25 plus years Um, In employment law, my career kind of moved in that direction. As I was a young lawyer, I was able to be a member of a commercial litigation team, and I just found that I gravitated towards employment law. I found it very interesting and challenging, Um, and I I really enjoy what I do because it's a variety. No two days are ever the same, and I I get to hear a lot of interesting stories and be involved in in a lot of different types of discussions, and I get to do different things from litigating to conducting investigations to providing advice and counsel to providing training. And I really enjoy all of the aspects that come with being an employment law attorney. Well, we're certainly in an interesting time right now, as some people would call it, the new normal way of operating businesses and employment. I know you just did a webinar with CG and uh, folks listening to this podcast can check that out at cgteam.com. But what is the new normal right now for businesses operating with employees? Um, Interestingly enough, there there is no normal. And and by the way, um, from an employment law perspective, there really never has been a normal. It is more unusual now. Um, because every every situation is so fact sensitive, but but right now it's difficult to say what the new normal is. Other than this would be my thought on that. That the new normal is, I find employers are having to ask themselves and reach out for counsel a lot more than they did previously. Because as an employer, especially if you have employment law counsel, you kind of get your feet under you with regard to what you have to do. And every once in a while, we get a new law thrown at us and we talk about it. Well, this happened in a very compressed time frame, and it wasn't just one new law. It was new law followed by regulation, other new laws. 
and, and guidance. And then you had all these executive orders. So it wasn't just a methodical change to how employers do business. It came and it's still coming a little bit in an avalanche and having to look at all these different branches to make sure you're complying with the requirements. So I think the new normal is asking a lot of questions um, and hopefully uh, there are answers, but sometimes there aren't. Yeah. Well, one of the new legislations is this Families First Coronavirus Response Act. What exactly does that mean? How does it affect employees and, and business owners? Well, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the FFCRA, um, was passed and actually took effect on April 1st. And it's interesting because it right now, and you always have to think in the right now, it sunsets on December 31st of 2020. That's not to say it won't be extended, but it was a, it's, it's a pretty comprehensive law. And it applies to all employers with some exceptions I'll talk about in a minute, whether you have one employee up to 500. If you have more than 500 employees, and there are very specific requirements I won't bore you with about joint employers, but if you have more than 500, you don't have to comply. And it came in two components. And the first component is a sick leave component. And so what the law did is it came up with six different categories of people or, or reasons that would be covered by the Families First Coronavirus Act. And we need to talk about all six with regard to both sides of the act. So the first part that we're talking about is this paid sick leave. And there are, are six categories. So first of all, the first three are about me. So I'm an employee and I'm subject to a federal state or local quarantine or isolation order related to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Number two, I've been advised by a healthcare provider that I need to quarantine due to concerns related to COVID-19. Or number three, I'm experiencing symptoms. And when they wrote the law, they said, and I'm seeking a medical diagnosis, because at the time, just because I was experiencing symptoms doesn't mean I was gonna get in to see a doctor because mm -hmm. it was yeah. crazy back when this law was passed. So. If you are in any of those three categories and you're an employee, by the way, there was a notice that all employers who have to comply should have posted so their employees know about this. It's not a secret. We got to let our employees know. An employee in any of those categories is entitled to be paid for two weeks their daily rate or $511, whichever is lesser and they are paid that by their employer. And this is in addition to any other type of leave they have, and there is no waiting period. So you hire me today, I meet one of these three criteria tomorrow, I'm entitled to the leave. It's a one-shot deal, and I get paid for 80 hours or two weeks. How, how do you stop people from and I'm not saying that anyone would take advantage of this, but there has to be some sort of protection for the employers here. Like, can they require COVID testing in order to have their employees satisfy this uh, paid sick leave? So the answer is no, because remember, I told you the three categories. It just has to be I'm experiencing symptoms and I'm seeking a medical diagnosis. Now, mm. that being said, so I said no, I'm going to talk about the COVID test 
I want to just do, give a quick answer. Employers can require their employees to get COVID tests to come back to work or to come to work. So you can require testing for the virus. You cannot require antibody testing. But for the FFCRA, there's certain documentation that you can request, but the reason you're going to request the documentation as an employer is um, you want to be able to take advantage of the following. You have to pay it, but it really is not paid by the employer because the employer will get a dollar-for-dollar dollar tax credit in their payroll taxes. So an employer that thinks they have someone who might comply needs to reach out to two people, maybe three, their, lawyer, their employment lawyer to make sure that this employee is entitled to it, two, their payroll company to find out how to denote it on the payroll that it's an FFCRA payment, and three, their accountant to say, okay, I don't want to pay this and not get my credit. Because if you get the credit, it's really the federal government who is paying this employee during that time period. And again, please remember, it's a one-shot deal. I can't do it in, in September and then do it in October. And there is a provision uh, regarding whether uh, it has to be permitted on an intermittent basis. And I'm gonna say right now, it requires an employer's consent. However, there is, there is litigation that is incurred in New York in the district court where one of the district judges said that the regulations that say that went too far. So that is, is an area that people may want to tread lightly. But the second category of paid sick leave is about, is addresses the other categories. Remember I told you there were six. Mm -hmm. So number four is an employee who's caring for an individual who is subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine, or two, has been advised by a healthcare provider to quarantine, or number five is the employee has to take care of a son or daughter that, by the way, it's defined as 18 years old or younger, whose school or daycare is closed and or unavailable due to COVID-19. And the sixth category I've never heard of anyone using. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not even really sure what it's talking about. It says the employee is experiencing any other substantially similar conditions specified by the Secretary of Health and Human Services in connection with the Secretary of the Treasury and the Secretary of Labor. I don't know what that means. I haven't heard it being used, but that is category number six. But if you're in category four or five, uh -huh. give me two seconds. And you have to take off to care for someone else. You are entitled to the 80 hours or two weeks, but your rate is different. It's two-thirds of your daily rate or $200, whichever is lesser. Well, I wanted to ask you about number five. So this would apply to any employer who, like, you know, we don't, every uh, school is different now and, and some are doing remote learning, some are only going a couple days a week, and then uh, some kids aren't going back at all. And if parents have to stay home to take care of their kids who are not going to school, that falls in under number five. But how long does that last? Because you said that this is just a one-time thing. H how does that work out under this? That is a great question and a great segue to the second part of the FFCRA. So this first part that I told you about is just what they call paid sick leave. It's for 80 hours, two weeks. It's a finite amount of time. 
The second half of the FFCRA is called an extended FMLA leave. It is the first time a couple things have happened. One, you have an FMLA leave that is paid. Two, you have an FMLA leave that applies to employers who are less than 50 employees. And three, employees do not have to work a year or a minimum number of hours to qualify. So for the extended part of the FMLA, an employee has to work for an employer for 30 days. And then they can get 12 weeks of leave only for number five. Only if you are out of work because a child, school, or daycare is closed or unavailable during COVID. Now, remember, I said right now, the law is written to say, or the regulations, the clarification that we got after the law was written, says that intermittent has to be agreed upon by the employer. Do not forget that. Because what we're seeing now is you have exactly what you talked about. Employees who say, hey, by the way, I can't work Mondays and Fridays because my kid is home and they go to school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I have this hybrid, will you work with me? It remain, right now, the strict letter of the law is the employer doesn't have to, but it is up in the air. But the other thing that you need to understand about this FMLA, remember I said it's the first time ever we've had one that was paid. So way the, the way the law was written is the first two weeks of this 12-week job holding, that's what, an, that's what a protected leave does. It holds your job for you is unpaid. Well, wink, wink, nod, nod. If I haven't used my paid sick leave, I can get those first two weeks paid by my paid sick leave under the FFCRA. Or maybe I have New Jersey earned sick leave, or maybe I have vacation or personal days or whatever. I can find some other method to get those two weeks paid. The other 10 are again paid at the rate of $200 a day or two thirds of your daily rate, whichever is lesser. Again, it is something where the employer, it's a cash flow because the employer puts the money out front, talk to your payroll company, you make sure it's marked correctly, you talk to your accountant, you make sure you get the documents you need because you're going to want your dollar for dollar tax credit off your payroll taxes the next time you pay them. And again, that's how the federal government is funding this lease. So the only type that gets that extended EFMLA, as we call it, is for this child care daycare issue. The rub is right now, unless if you have a school that's 100% virtual, right, you could have an employee come to you and say, I'm going to need the next 12 weeks because I'm going to need to take to help my child with school mm -hmm. for 12 weeks and I want to take the FFCRA. And then what you have to do after that is, depending upon the state you're in, for example, the state of New Jersey, at the end of that, you have to say, is there any other leave available to this employee? I will tell you our New Jersey State Family Leave Act was amended to include daycare and to include childcare. So the question is, can you, because it's covered by both leaves, can they run concurrently? My guess is probably not, because don't forget, I said, the FFCRA specifically says in the legislation, 
It is in addition to anything else you get. This is a lot for someone to take in. <laughs> if someone has, like, if an employer or excuse me, an employee has any issues with this, is it important that they talk to their HR department or should they seek some sort of outside counsel like, like yourself or any type of employment law firm to, to help them navigate this? Because it all can be very confusing. It, it can be very confusing. And a lot, like I said, that got back to, remember, our new normal. A lot of these situations are uh, uh, talking it through. So I would say for an employee, the first place they should go is their HR department, because a lot of these HR professionals are becoming well-versed, because they are having discussions among themselves and with their employment counsel to understand the application of this law. For example, one of the things um, that happened in New Jersey when we got a travel advisory, right? Mm -hmm. We got a voluntary travel advisory. And it said, if you go to practically any other state, it's a long <laughs> list. Um, when you come back and the language of the, of, the, of, the, of the travel advisory is it's voluntary, but we expect compliance. So I laughed because I thought, well, what it really should have said is we're going to put the onus on the employers. Because what happened is if you have an employee who went to Texas, comes back and waltzes in the office on Monday, the fellow coworkers are going to say, go home. Texas is on the no-no list and we'll see you in two weeks. You're not coming in here, typhoid Mary. <laughs> and so what happened is you have this order, this advisory, that's not an order. And we had clients say, do we pay? There's, we have employees who are staying home. They're doing the right thing and they can't telework, right? They can telework, no problem. But they can't telework. Do we pay them for the FFCRA? Our position was, yes, it's not an order. But unless you want to be the test case for the, that word and that definition, we suggest you err on the side of caution, let them take their 80 hours of FFCRA, and then if they are sick or something happens, you'll have to figure out what happens after those 80 hours are up. There are not, I, I, I don't want to, um, to forget to mention, there are some exclusions to the FFCRA that are very, very interesting. So there is a small business exclusion to the paid sick leave, to the, um, I'm sorry, to the extended FMLA part of 50 or less employees. But what happened was it said that that had to be approved by the Secretary of Labor. I'm sure they got an influx of emails and there was guidance saying, stop it, stop sending the, you know, your documents in. If you believe you're exempt because you're a small business, keep your proof. And when we audit you because someone complains, we'll let you know, mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a, it's not a little bit, it's a lot of bit of a risk um, because the requirements, it's not just a head count like the normal FMLA where you get to 30 employees and you're like, I don't have to comply because I'm not at 50. You have to basically prove, and I'm saying it in a very uh, broad category, there are very specific definitions, but the overriding concept is if you complied with the FFCRA, you would be out of business. So you better have the documentation to prove that if you're going to try and claim that you don't have to comply with part of the FFCRA because of the small business exception. The other exception is uh, the definition of a healthcare provider, 
which is very broad and was also part of that New York District Court that I was talking to you about, because basically a healthcare provider was someone who um, works for a doctor's office, someone who works for a company that provides durable medical goods. And what the judge said in that district court case was, it really could be anybody. The way it's written, it could be a professor at a medical school, and that's not what was intended. So we need to fix that. But right now, if you work for a healthcare provider, what, the, what it says is they may exclude you from the benefit of the FFCRA. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll say, we're not going to comply with the extended FMLA, but we'll comply with the sick leave. Or maybe, you know, some employers will say, no, we're going to comply. Why not? Then you have some employers who say, no, it's too much of a headache. I'm not going to comply with either. So there are some carve-outs, not, not a lot, but there are some carve-outs um, that if an employer believes it might be available to them, they may want to talk to their employment lawyer about it. Hmm. All fine print there. Uh, I want to ask you, Tracy, yeah. about um, some of the different terms that people have been dealing with ever since COVID started. A lot of people have been out of work uh, for different reasons. Furloughs, layoffs, and just employment termination. Just briefly explain the difference between those three terms and how it affects employees uh, coming back to work or employers who had to do this with their employees. So really, um, there is no difference. The only difference is the letters and the words. And and I, I, I say that um, the only time furlough really means something is if you're talking about our WARN Act, whether it be our New Jersey WARN Act or our federal WARN Act, which are our mass layoffs. Uh, laws, then the word furlough has a meaning. The implication has a legal meaning. The implication of a furlough is I'm thinking about bringing you back. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes for an employer, do I have to bridge the benefit? And the answer is there is no legal construct of a furlough or, or the difference between a layoff and a termination. Those words are important only if they make you feel better. I tell people, I think people like the word furlough because it sounds like fur and fur is nice, furry is nice, <laughs> and maybe sounds nicer, right? Then I'm terminating it. But it also sounds so, nice. It's, it also, like you mentioned, it sounds like the implication is that you'll be brought back. So I think that's why people prefer that. Right, right, correct, correct. And you just have to be careful if you are using those words as to what you're saying to your employees, because you don't want to make promises you're not going to keep. Mm -hmm. If you are truly going to engage in a furlough that you are defining, again, the legal construct to say, look, we're going to look to bring you back in three months and we'll bridge your benefits. That, then you better be prepared to do that. Now, look, you can always say we're unable to bring you back and now we're changing it to a termination. That's been going on a lot. Uh -huh. But the reason the word... So two things. The reason the words are important, it, it may be for insurance, which I'll talk about in a minute, but also for unemployment. And unemployment really isn't worried about the words. Unemployment is going to want to know why. Why are you no longer working? So if it, I, I was laid off, terminated, furloughed because I did something wrong, that's going to have a different implication than COVID-19 hit my company really strong mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. was laid off or I was terminated or it doesn't matter at that point. What happened in the beginning, what my, my initial concern was when I got my very first phone call about what was going on about, oh my gosh, I have to lay off all these people in the middle of a pandemic and they're going to have to cover their insurance. That's insane. I can't do it. You have to find a way around it. 
And I said, uh, I, I don't know that that's possible because having to terminate someone's insurance is based on your contractual relationship with your health insurance provider because they have an actively working requirement in that contract. It's not about COBRA. COBRA tells you what you have to do when you have to terminate that policy. But whether you have to terminate that policy is based on your contract with your health insurance provider. So that particular client got on the phone with their health insurance provider, called me up, and said the provider will let us continue their insurance because our intent is to bring them back. We're going to use the word furlough. I said, aha, mm. that's the reason to use the word furlough. And I was skeptical. I said, get it in writing. Because I really, I, I, because I, the normal is when you have someone who goes below the actively working requirement, health insurance companies require you to cover them because to terminate their insurance and put them on COBRA. Many, many insurance companies allowed their employers to uh, and agreed to waive the actively working requirement to allow insurance to be continued. And, and the deadlines vary. You know, some said we'll do it through July 31st. I heard others said through September 30th. I've heard some through December 31st. So if you're in that position, that's some, that may be a reason to use the word furlough if that with you allowing your employees to stay on the insurance and you make decisions about whether you're going to pay your part, they pay their part, you're going to pay for everything. You know, those are those are personal decisions that employers would have to make um, regarding those situations. But that that is really the only difference in the use of the words is for some other purpose than a legal construct. One final thing, Tracy, and I appreciate your time uh, and this information. Uh, what's, let's say, the most important thing that an employer has to know when hiring new employees during this pandemic? Uh, you can, you absolutely cannot discriminate, um, just like you could in the past, based on any protected class. Um, but that you also cannot discriminate against someone who. Um, has COVID, is helping someone with COVID, you can request, like I said before, a COVID test. You can take your employee's temperature, um, but you cannot request right now an antibodies test. Someone asked me, are we going to be allowed to require a vaccine? And I gave the very lawyerly answer of, I have no <laughs> idea. And, you know, there are issues that we can maybe talk about on a later date of having employees come back and, you know, do, should you have them sign waivers, I'll give you the cliff notes, no. Um, but there may be other circumstances where an employer may want to consider some sort of documentation because of COVID-19. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Tracy, this is great information. Where can people go to find more about yourself and more about some of the services that you provide? Sure. So, so I will, if I could just say one thing before I talk about where you find our good stuff. I, the Department of Labor in New Jersey is often my nemesis, um, but they created a, a great chart of if this happens, this is what an employee is titled to. If somebody is looking for it, if you Google New Jersey DOL COVID chart, it comes up. It's a great resource. Um, if you are an employer, um, on the Wallent website, or even if you're an employee, we have a coronavirus resource group where we blog we on all different topics, including uh, landlord-tenant issues, estate planning. There's an employer's obvious blog. Um, if you are an employer, 
our specific blog is called the Employer's Legal Resource. You can go on to the Wilentz, uh website, and it's wilentz.com, W-I-L-E-N-T-Z.com, and you can sign up either for the Coronavirus Resource Group, and you'll get all those type of blogs, or you can just sign up for the Employer's Legal Resource blog. I will tell you, in a normal world, uh, we try and blog about once a week, sometimes every other week. Our blogs are short. They are practicable. Uh, you don't need to know the esoterics of all the laws. An employer needs to know, how do I apply this to my business? So uh, that's what we try and do. In COVID-19, uh, we have blogged a lot more because it just happens sometimes fast and furious. Um, so that's, those are the resources that I use right now. Tracy, thank you so much for your time and for educating us all. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Great stuff there from Tracy Armstrong. Uh, Once again, she is with Wilentz, Goldman, and Spitzer. And in fact, uh, she presented a webinar with CG Tax Audit and Advisory to help them return to the workplace during the pandemic. And you can find that on cgteam.com slash webinars and head to cgteam.com where their team of advisors can help guide and navigate you through any of your business concerns. Once again, I'm Scott Seidenberg. Thank you for listening to the CG Business Advisor podcast available wherever you get your podcasts from. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and make sure you get the latest episode downloaded directly to your mobile device. We'll be back with a new episode at the end of this month. So until then, stay safe, and thanks again for listening.